Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that is taking place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Lacedonians and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Well, you get to um, a passage of scripture like this and, and you're reminded of something that is rather obvious. And that is we don't write letters like we used to. We don't write letters like we used to. I am confident that if I took a poll this morning of those the age 40 and under, very few, very few or if any of you have actually sat down to write a personal letter in the last 10 to 15 years. We just don't write letters. We, we write emails. We send texts. We instant message. We FaceTime and we Skype. We have little to no time for personal handwritten correspondence. And this in one sense, beloved, this, the, the, the advent of this type of technology has been a, a good thing. Because what that does is that means that we are communicating more. We create, we communicate more often and we communicate more frequently. I communicate on a daily basis with more people than I ever could if I was handwriting letters. I communicate more widely and I communicate more quickly and I communicate instantly and therefore are able amazingly across the country and across the world to keep up various conversations and discussions going on at the same time. However, there is a downside to this as well. Because what that means is that we have forsaken our ability to greet and express our love and appreciation with any level of depth and sincerity. 
we speak and we write in abbreviations. We greet one another in codes and emojis. Instead of saying, I love you, we just send a heart. We lose our ability to communicate with any depth. We lose a level of sincerity for we speak and we greet in abbreviated bits and bites. For Paul and the early church, as we know, this was not true. The only communication that they had, beloved, was the letter. And so we see the importance and even the sincerity of this type of communication as we see in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 18, the very last verse of our text. What does the Apostle Paul say? I, Paul, I, Paul, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. The sincerity and the depth of the sincerity of him expressing his heart. He wanted them to know that I have taken the time to sit down and write this myself. That's what happens when you actually today, if you ever get a handwritten greeting from somebody, you just sit down and take a moment. Don't you? Because you realize they took the time to write this. Find a pen and a piece of paper and write it yourself. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. But here's the more amazing aspect. The, the most amazing thing, beloved, is not simply that the Apostle Paul, the, the, the busy Apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul, sat down to write this letter. Here is the most, more amazing thing because no matter what we're doing, if we want to, you and I could take the time to sit down and write a letter. Here's the more amazing thing, that God had determined to inspire those words. God inspired a letter. God said that I would speak to my people, and how would he speak to them? He would speak to them through the form of a human being sitting down and writing a letter. A letter, a letter. And I don't want you to miss that. Because even though God inspired the writing of the letter, and the letter, therefore, is the very words of God, God didn't change the nature of the letter. I want you to think about that. He didn't change the nature of the letter. It is still a letter. It is a letter that begins with, hello. Dear saints, like you would begin a letter, so Colossians begins that way. Your letter is not from God, though. 
This one is. It begins the same way and, beloved, it ends the same way. How do you end your letters? So this letter, inspired by God, ends as you would expect any letter to. That is amazing, beloved. That is wonderful. So it reminds us then that this is the word of God and though it is divine, it is still intensely and unmistakably human. And it communicates with us where we are. God condescended to speak in a way that you and I can understand. He used letters. Wow. Wow. God used Paul's words. He used Paul's experiences. He used Paul's relationships. He used Paul's loves to communicate his deep truth. And what do we see then? We see this wonderful interplay between the divine, the divine intersection between God and humanity, the communication between the divine and the human. And what do we find? Paul concludes his letter. We see how important our final words we see how important our faithful workers and we see how important it is to finish well. You get that? Look at these final words and how important they are and what they communicate and how important faithful workers are and how important it is to finish well. Let's look at these these final words of the apostle here. You know, last impressions are just as important as first impressions. In fact, in, in one sense, even more so. And, and, and therefore, those who take the time and the care to write letters understand how important it is not only to find the right first words, but also to search and to find the right final words. And Paul finishes off this correspondence with these final words. And they show us two things. They show us Paul's heart for the ministry. And they show us Paul's heart for people. His heart for the ministry. And we'll see how these work and interplay together. For you remember, you remember at the time that Paul was writing this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome. That's why it's called a prison epistle. His movements were being closely watched and restricted. He wasn't free to do as he willed and to go wherever he wanted. And yet, despite the fact that he is under house arrest, 
despite the fact that his movement and to some degree his ministry is being restricted by the authorities in Rome, Paul doesn't allow his circumstances to halt his ministry. Where he says in verse 7 and 8 and 9, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. How you got activities? You're in a house arrest. And Paul says, don't worry, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. And Onesimus, Tychicus and Onesimus, they will tell you everything that has taken place. It is easy, beloved. It is so easy to get down because ministry doesn't go the way you planned. You right. I know that's right, Mother Mary. Where are you? You right. It is so easy to sit down because ministry doesn't go the way you planned. It is so easy to get discouraged because the program isn't planned the way you want it planned. It doesn't go the way you want it to go. And now Paul, you know why? Paul reminds us of this important truth, beloved. Paul reminds us ministry happens. Ministry happens. Wherever God has you, ministry happens. And therefore, don't waste your ministry because you are wallowing in your own misery. Ministry happens. And so Paul here is reminding us that he is not going to allow his chains to hinder the calling that he has received from Christ. No, 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 no. No, why? Because, beloved, as he told Timothy in in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, he said, I am suffering, and I am in chains. I am bound, but the word of God is never bound. This is what he reminded the Philippians, didn't he? He reminded the Philippians that he is also in jail and house arrest as he writes to the Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, that what has happened to me, my arrest, my restrictions, my frustration, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Why? Because ministry happens. And you and I would see it happen if we would not allow ourselves to wallow in our own misery. And wherever God has you, beloved, wherever he has planted you at the moment, fulfill the calling. Do not allow your circumstances to dictate 
the fervor and the passion that you have for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't allow that to happen, beloved. For your circumstances never hinders the ministry. The only thing that hinders the ministry is your attitude in the midst of it. Your circumstances are nothing. Wherever God has you, ministry happens. All you and I must do, beloved, is maintain a Godward and outward attitude and not wallow in our own self-pity and not wallow in our own ministry, misery, but look around and say, Lord, even here, how can I fulfill the ministry? You see Paul's heart here. This, these chains and this house arrest is not going to hinder him. There are things happening, and he is prepared and ready to share that with his people. See, his heart for ministry, which in that sense, beloved, really is a heart for people, isn't it? For Paul, his heart for ministry really was a heart for people. And that's what ministry is, beloved. It always is. It always is, beloved. Ministry is people. It's not programs. Ministry is people. Behind every program, there are people. And the program means nothing if it is not ministering to people. If you have a heart for God, if you have a heart for the ministry, then that means you have a heart for people. Not simply ideas, not simply arguments, but people. And this is Paul. This is Paul. And you see it in Colossians remarkably. Beloved, as he ends this letter, do you know that outside of his letter to the Romans, which writing to Rome is a big city, Rome was a big city. But outside of his letter to the Romans, no other inspired letter from the Apostle Paul contains more significant names than Colossians. You would expect that in Rome because there were just so many of them. But amongst this small group of people here in Colossae, Paul mentions all these names in his salutation. Because it's about the people. It's about Tychicus and Onesimus. It is about Aristarchus and Mark and, and Justus and Epaphras and Luke and, and Lympha. It's about Archippus. And these, beloved, these are just the ones that he mentions. Because the ministry is always about people. It's always about people. In fact, it is the people that really make the ministry. This is what Paul says to the, to the Corinthians, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we, as some do, letter of recommendation to you or from you. We don't need that. 
Why? Because you are our letter of recommendation. I don't need somebody else to write me a letter of recommendation. All they need to do is see the people I minister with. My people are my letter of recommendation. Because that's what the ministry is all about, beloved. It is all about people. And people frequently ask me when I go other places, people like to ask me the question, you know, you've been doing uh, East Point Church now for about 10 years. What are you most in- encouraged about? And beloved, I can say it without hesitation. The thing that encourages me the most is the people. The Lord has blessed us with, with many things. This week, he has blessed us with two new uh, uh, projectors here. So that now y'all can read that screen and you can read that one clear. Hallelujah. Blessed us with this beautiful edifice, beloved. The most encouraging thing to me, beloved, is not the building, it's not the projectors. You can take the building and tear it down. You can return those projectors. The most encouraging thing to me are the people. Encouraging thing to me are the people. It is every Sunday sitting, standing here and seeing Mother Scroggins sit in that seat right there. It's moving down and seeing Miss Christine right there, seeing Savannah and Kyle right there, knowing that when I sit down, Christine is going to be sitting behind me, greeting me. walking into the sanctuary every day and see Kimberly there greeting at the door. And Kenny, and Eric, and Brittany. Looking up in the sound room and seeing Pat. And Rory, and Macario, Josh, and Israel. It's going into the kitchen. And seeing Naima serving and prepping, seeing Amanda, going in there and hearing Miss Mary say, Pastor, we have your plate <laughs> set aside. He's walking the hallways and hearing Jana and Josh in there with the teens and Reggie and Donald with some boys. Faithfully, every Sunday, seeing Shamara going down to her classroom, hearing the children in the nursery, knowing that Christy is in there serving with them, and Allison is within earshot. <laughs> Walking into the sanctuary, beloved, and seeing the enthusiasm of Allen on the keyboard, and Jabari on the drums, and Lee on the bass, And hearing Nick play that song. Watching the enthusiasm of those singers in the, in the choir stand. That's what it's all about, beloved. That's what it's all about. It's about the people. And the list can go on and on and on and on, beloved. Because ministry is about the people. And that is the power of the gospel, isn't it? It's not fancy words. It's 
not big buildings. But the power of the gospel is the power of God to change lives when people give up themselves for one another. That's the power of the gospel. That's the meaning of the ministry. That's the glory of the church of Christ. These are Paul's final words. Because he loved people and he loved the ministry. And you know what he says about these people? He doesn't just mention them. But he calls them a couple of things. He calls them faithful. Faithful workers. Faithful workers. You know, we make much of Paul. We do. And, and, and we probably should to some degree. I mean, God used them to write, you know. The vast majority of the New Testament. So it's natural that we would kind of defer to the beloved apostle and the prominence that he has. And yet Paul reminds us, and this is glorious, beloved, Paul reminds us that even though we might make much of him, Paul knew that he didn't labor by himself. It wasn't Paul's church. It wasn't Paul's ministry. This was the ministry of Jesus Christ that Paul had got it called him into and Paul looked around and the Lord had placed others to labor with him. He didn't labor by himself. Someone has rightly said that it takes a community to raise a child. Well, beloved, it takes a community to make a church. You know, and people like to, people like to say, well, you know, where are you going? Well, I'm going to Pastor Anthony Carter's church today. Well, I'm sorry, but Pastor Andrew Collins doesn't have a church. He barely got a home. <laughs> this is our thing, beloved. This is our thing. And all of us have roles to play as faithful workers in the ministry that Christ calls us to. He calls them faithful and he calls them fellows. Right? He calls them Faithful. Over and over again, he says, they are faithful with me, trustworthy and dependable, reliable. And for Paul, this was an important understanding. This was an important word. This was an important attribute. Faithfulness. And he used it on many occasions. He tells Timothy that, you know, you ought to be faithful. You ought to find faithful men that you could teach these things to. He says that his testimony, and the testimony that the, the work that the Lord has done in his life is faithful. And then he also refers to himself as faithful, saying that he is overjoyed that God would find him faithful, putting him in the ministry. But you know what really matters, beloved? It's not so much the faithfulness of men and the faithfulness of our testimony but, or even the faithfulness of Paul because the reason that he, his words, and all these other things can be faithful is because of what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 that God is faithful. God is faithful. It is who God is. And those who would serve him faithfully would therefore be faithful. 
Faithfulness in ministry, beloved, is of the utmost importance to Paul. It is indispensable if you are going to do ministry and do it well. Nothing, beloved, is more encouraging than to have faithful men and women in ministry with you. Nothing, nothing, nothing is more. We may not have any money. We may not have any resources. But if we got faithful men and women, we will not fall short of fulfilling the calling that God has put upon our lives. Faithful, faithful men and women. And nothing in ministry is more reflective of God than this call of us to be faithful. I love it. Faithfulness. What is faithfulness? I like to define faithful very simply. Faithfulness is being where you're supposed to be. When you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's faithfulness. You're where you're supposed to be. When you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing. And we depend on it. All of us depend on it. You hope for it. You need it. Faithfulness. Don't in the ministry is indispensable. Indispensable. And we assume it. You should assume it. Nobody called me last night. Nobody called me last night and said, Pastor, do you have a sermon ready for tomorrow morning? Are you going to be ready to preach? Do you need any help? Why? You assume that I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that is not only what you should assume from me, but I should be able to assume that from you. So I didn't call Alan last night and ask him, is he going to be ready to play? Because I assume he's faithful. I didn't call you last night and ask you, are you going to give on Sunday morning? Because the assumption is, is that we're going to be faithful. I didn't call and ask if there are going to be greetings. I didn't call and ask are there going to be refreshments at the church. I didn't call and ask are the Sunday school teachers going to be in place. Why? Because ministry can't happen without faithfulness. You don't have to call me on Saturday night. I don't mind. You can call me. Say hi, Pastor. But you don't have to call me on Saturday night. Because the Lord gives me strength and the right sound of mind. I'm going to seek to be faithful. And I pray I don't have to call you. Because I pray you're going to be where you're supposed to be. When you're supposed to be there doing what you said you were going to do. That's Paul and the men and women with him. They were faithful. And that's what he called them, beloved, because faithfulness is a blessing. It is a blessing. And you cherish it. And Paul called them faithful. But he didn't just call them faithful. He called them fellow. Right? He called them fellow. 
See, he does not just call them doulas or servants. He calls them soon doulas, fellow servants. He doesn't just call them ergoi, workers. He didn't say, you're my workers. He said he called them soon ergoi, fellow workers. He called them fellow prisoners. These are they who had come to own the gospel with him. They had come to own the ministry with him. They had entered into this ministry with him. They had entered into the trials with him and the struggles with him. And they were not just faithful, they were fellows. one thing to be a worker. It's another thing to be a fellow worker. I can look at you and know that you're not just working, but you're working with me. It's one thing to be a prisoner. It's another thing to be a fellow prisoner. And I know that you are not just in prison, but you are in prison for the same thing I'm in prison for. You did the same thing I did. You are being persecuted for the same thing I am being persecuted for, beloved. They were in battle together. They were in spiritual foxholes together. Someone has said that misery loves company. Yeah, but so too does ministry. (laughs) Ministry loves company. Ministry loves company, beloved, and Paul had it. He had it. Aristarchus and and Mark and Justice in verse 11, the Bible says, were a comfort to him. They were a comfort to him because he knew that they were in it with him. And they were going to be with him to the end. He calls them faithful, he calls them fellow. But you know what really is most impressive to me about the list of people is the diversity of it all. Diversity of it all. We're taken by the diversity of of the people in this church here and in the ministry of Paul. This is amazing. When I was in Bible college, you go to these, you know, church growth classes. And, and, and one of the things that they taught us in Bible college, believe it or not, is they said that the key to church growth is to have a homogenous church. Now, that's just a fancy word for saying that everybody is the same. If you want to grow a church, this is what they taught us. If you want to grow a church, then have all black people, have all white people, or have all wealthy people, or have all poor people, or have all educated people. But the quickest way to grow the church is for everybody to come in there and everybody looks the same and everybody is comfortable and everybody is happy and everybody brings all their friends. 
and everybody's safe. Because everybody's kids look alike. And people have grown large churches like that, beloved. Huge churches like that. Do you know what the Apostle Paul has here? You read this list, and he has men and women. He has Jews and Gentiles. He has slaves on this list. He has free men on this list. He has wealthy people on this list. He has poor people on this list. He has homeowners on this list. He has servants on this list. He has professional people on this list. He has common people on this list. Because Paul, beloved, was not just giving lip service. When he said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. All of them were fellow workers. This is what the gospel does. This is a testimony of the grace and the power and the mercy of the gospel, beloved, is that from diverse backgrounds and experiences, God brings together a people who now are not only faithful, but they are fellows. And our closest relationships becomes those in which we would have never had apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody, any group in the world can be homogenous. Doesn't take any effort to do that. Takes no power to do that, beloved. Grab a group of people together who all look the same and have the same experiences, the same wants and desires. It takes the power of God for Democrats and Republicans to sit and worship and serve in the same church. takes the power of God, beloved, and call themselves fellow workers and faithful brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God takes a powerful gospel for you to walk in those doors and set aside your prejudices and your preconceived notions and ideas of what people ought to do because they look a certain way how they ought to behave and talk because they look a certain way. And hug them and call them brothers and sisters in Christ. My fellow faithful brother and sister. And work and serve side by side and hand in hand. That, beloved, is the testimony of the unity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the difference the cross makes. It ought to be making a difference in your life. It ought to be making a difference in your life. No, I don't, I don't, I don't want to meddle. I don't want to meddle. But I do want to challenge you, beloved. I mean, if you are a white person in here and you've never had black people in your home, 
brothers and sisters in Christ that you sit next to every Sunday. Welcome them and let them know that they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to ask yourself, where's the power of the cross? There are black people in here who have never invited or had any of our white members in their home and fellowship with them, eat a meal with them. What difference is the gospel making? Where is the power of the cross? Jesus asked the question, when a son of man returns, will he find any faithful? Will our churches be homogenous? Or will they in some way, form, or fashion reflect the ministry that God, through the Apostle Paul, created even here at Colossae? Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray, I pray that we would be those people, those Christians, faithful and fellow. Lesson, because there's no clock up there, I have no idea what time it is. And since I don't know what time it is, we're going to keep going, Mother Stargate. And lastly, Paul gives us here the importance of finishing well. Finishing well. For you do know, beloved, that the value of the Christian life, the value of the Christian life is not in starting well. Look at them. They put the clock up. You see that? All of a sudden, they put the clock up. What are you trying to say? The value of the Christian life, beloved, is not in starting. The value of the Christian life is in finishing. The value of the Christian life is not in starting well. The value is in finishing well. The Bible is big on finishing right. Finishing strong. When you finish, you're leaning across the tape. Paul was big on it too. He was big on finishing well. And as he concludes this letter, we have the tale, beloved, and just it's hidden in there. And you have to be thinking about it to see it. But it's hidden in there. The tale of two lives going, even from this point, even from the writing of this text, there are two people in this text that are going in opposite directions and they're in the same church. And they're going in opposite directions. One name is Mark, called John, and the other name is Demas. Many of us, I am sure, many of us can testify to starting the Christian life well. And then, because of circumstances and bumps in the road, we began to get weighted down by our sin and, and circumstances, and somebody had to come along and give us a jump stop. We had to start again. 
And then because of circumstances and getting out into the world and away from the people and the things of God, we slow down again and come along. We have to get started again. Well, beloved, I want you to understand that the important thing is not how well you start. The thing you have to focus your attention on is making sure that you finish right. If you got to get jump started again, then call somebody and let them bring over the jumper cables. And let's jump it again. So we want to finish well. Mark, the Bible says here, also known as John, was the cousin of Barnabas. And Demas here, the Bible says, was a companion of Paul. Mentioned as a missional companion. He's mentioned alongside the beloved physician, Luke. And both Mark and Demas are commended in this passage of Scripture. And yet earlier, in Acts chapter 13, you might recall, you remember that Paul rejected Mark because Mark failed him. Mark wasn't faithful. Mark failed him on the, in the ministry and Paul refused to take Mark with him on his next missionary journey. So Mark had earlier failed Paul. And you will read in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, that later on, Demas would reject Paul. It was Mark who started wrong, who became in the end an encouragement to Paul. It was Demas who started well but in the end became a discouragement to Paul. God's beloved. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Mark started wrong, but he finished strong. Demas started right, but he finished wrong. When it comes to the things of God, beloved, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11 tells us that the race is not given to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Instead, the virtue that distinguishes true faith from false faith is perseverance. It is endurance. How do you know that I am saved, beloved. The only way you're going to ultimately know I'm saved is in the end you are saved and I'm standing there with you. Because we have persevered. We have endured. We have finished as Paul said. We have fought the good fight. We have finished the race. We have kept 
test of faith. Why Jesus says, those who endure to the end shall be saved. How are you going to finish? Where will you finish? Where will you finish, beloved? This morning, I'm, I'm not concerned about how you started. People, you talk to people and they say, well, when did you get saved? And some people get stumbling around, I, I don't know, well, you know, I did this and I did this. You know, the question is really not when did you get saved? You know what the question is? The question is, are you saved? I don't care when you thought you got saved as a child. I want to know, are you saved today? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ today? Are you believing in the finished work of Christ? Have you confessed your sins today? Is he the Lord of your life today? I don't care about any card you signed or how many times you came forward and gave your hand to the preacher. I want to know, is he Lord today? That's what matters. Are you saved today? Then, beloved, I encourage you. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep being faithful. Keep serving. Persevere and endure. And may those who come behind you then find you faithful. Faithful. Now this is the end of our preaching in Colossians. I pray that it's not an end to the Christ that we preach from Colossians. But I I pray that you understand that we need this preeminent glorious Jesus every moment of every day. We need this Christ. We are leaving Colossians, but I pray that you never leave Jesus. Don't leave him, beloved. Keep your eye on Jesus. Let the power of Christ and the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Remember that Christ, if you are his, then he is in you. Your only hope of glory. And that, beloved, is the glory of Christ in Colossians. Let's pray.